Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Tee to Green Golf Podcast. We are excited that you are joining with us today. We are honored to bring to you a very special guest in the Tee to Green Fairways. Many of you know him as the 2018 World Long Drive Champion. To date, he is the only golfer, human being, who has hit a golf ball over Niagara Falls. To many of you, you know him as a World Long Drive Champion. We welcome from the Tee to Green Fairways, Maurice Allen. Maurice, welcome to the Tee to Green Golf Podcast. We are excited to have you with us today. Thanks, man. I really appreciate being here. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's been an exciting run for you. Uh, you started golf in 2010, and you came to fame probably around that 2015, 2016, 2017 period where World Long Drive Championships, you were playing, you were competing, you were winning. 2018 was certainly the pinnacle when you brought the title home. Um, but maybe more, more importantly than that, you are the only person that's hit a daggone golf ball across Niagara Falls. I had a chance to watch the video, and I think your response to that was probably my response. I'm saying, damn, what was that experience like for you? Um, you know, very few times in life do you have the ability to become immortal. Um, and more so for me, I think that's what it was really all about. My brother and I, from the time we were kids, we always tell each other in parting, we don't say bye, we just tell each other, be immortal. And that part is, that was the coolest part of it all. I think it was more of a spiritual and humbling experience than anything else. Um, I think that it was, it was something where, you know, very few times in life do you understand that life has a bigger and greater purpose, and that was True. one of them. Excellent, excellent. Well, I know I've done my research on you, and. Many of us listening today may not have had the opportunity to do that. Certainly some may be surprised by having you on this morning or on the podcast. I understand that you're from Pine Hills, Florida. Can you please tell everybody in the fairways a little bit more about who is Maurice Allen? Um, I'm just a regular guy. <laughs> Nothing to it. I mean, um, you know, my, my grandparents – and my parents were hardworking people, um, so that's a huge part of who I am today. Um, and I was—I've always been around older people, so I, I saw the struggle from people in the civil rights movement and things of that nature. And so I've always looked at, you know, justice and equality as a huge part of what life should should really be. If people work hard, if people are taught these things from the time that they're kids until they're adults that hard work and perseverance and you know being intelligent and all these other things you should be able to have the quote-unquote american dream and so many times for black people that just has not been the case and so for me being an advocate to stand up and let people know when things aren't fair or when people aren't getting their just due um that's just that's just a part of who i am so i guess uh, me as a person um you know i don't I'm a funny guy, even though people don't get to see that part much. They get to see the serious side of it. Uh, sneaker guy, love, love just trying to figure out life and leave my mark. Um, I think that's probably the most important thing in my, my biggest view on life is at some point in time, we're all going to leave this earth and what are we going to leave it? How are we going to leave it? How are we going to 
impact and effect change for others? How are we gonna make someone else's road easier than ours was? And that part to me is extremely important. So I think two things that I want to take from that, I've had the opportunity to get to know you over the past two to four weeks during the period that we initially connected and we worked towards this date. I've come to know you as a humble golfer, human being. I've come to know you as someone who is truly committed to the causes of those that are less fortunate. And I know collectively you just worked with Golf Digest, many of your followers, including myself, on giving to a family in need. And so when we think about leaving a legacy, what does that mean to you? And, and the other thing that I wanna make sure that we ask is, so often we, we, we underscore the intellect of our athletes. Again, I know a little bit more about Maurice because I've done my research, um, but I'll ask you to expound on who is that person outside of golf? Again, I know that you were in a doctoral program prior to this journey with the golf club that you've been on. So talk to us about that and the importance that that plays in your life today. Yeah, I mean, education is key. Uh, for some reason, um, you know, probably one of the biggest things that bothers me is when I look at black people as a whole and we always think that sports are our way out. Um, I've never had I've never had the ability of understanding that even as a professional athlete, I don't think that I've gotten where I am today because of my athletic ability. I honestly believe I've gotten where I've gotten today because of my intellect more so than anything else. And when I look at people from my neighborhood or neighborhoods that look like mine, we're always trying to get a kid to bounce a ball or run faster or jump further and higher and all these other things. But, you know, and they all, the, the new coin phrase right now is being like LeBron. Well, somebody has to write LeBron's checks. So rather than struggling or striving to be like LeBron, who is an amazing athlete, great philanthropist, and all these wonderful things that LeBron does, don't get me wrong, LeBron's an amazing gentleman. But there's somebody who, who writes his checks. There's somebody who pays his bills. You know, Phil Knight pays him a shoe deal with Nike and whoever's over the Lakers and Magic and all of these other people are, there's nobody on this earth who pays someone more money than they make. Um, so we need to start getting into the understanding that in the United States, the educational system is free. And if education is free, then we all have the opportunity to learn. If we all have the opportunity to learn and get this valuable information, then technically we all have the, the opportunity to excel. Now, just because we decide to put our attention somewhere else, um, that changes our ability to excel in the classroom sometimes. Yeah, it doesn't come so easy. Absolutely. And my sense right now is that we could go on with this podcast for far longer than I've allowed myself. And, and I know that you're <laughs> playing today in, in the Juneteenth event here at Bears Best in Suwannee, Georgia. So still want to, again, keep focused on the golf side. And I'm sure we'll waver away from that. How long have you been playing golf? And did you play other sports? Uh, playing golf is weird. So I started out long driving. I wasn't playing golf. So for the first two, three years, I didn't hit anything but a driver. Um, 2012 is kind of when I start 
hitting the ball. I won't even call that playing golf because to me, playing golf is physical chess. So you think and you plot your way around, absolutely, rather than just hit, hit, and hit. You know, a lot of people hit the ball; they don't actually play the game. True. Um, so that part's different. Uh, other sports, man, played tons of them. Uh, played, did not play basketball, ironically. Okay. It's the only sport I didn't play. Uh, ran track, played football, played baseball, did bobsled for a little while. Okay. Um, volleyball. Tried cross country, but I didn't like the distance side of it. Um, I've, I've done so many sports, and I think that that is a key part of who I am as a golfer today. People always ask me if I focused on golf early. You know, could I have been on the PGA Tour right now and all these other things? And I think no, because the discipline and the work ethic that I got from other sports has helped me excel in this sport. Facts. And so, again, as we are at this point, and I'm speaking to those in the Tita Green fairways, there's something that I want to make sure that we capture up to this point in our time with Maurice, and that is education is free in America. And for those of you that are not aware, and, and Maurice has a bachelor's degree, he has a master's degree, and before he trekked down the path that has brought him the fame, he was in a doctoral program. So again, education, intellect, life experience is key. The other thing that I think we missed today that Maurice touched on is he wasn't devoted and committed to one sport. And he just mentioned the value of playing multiple sports, the discipline and the learnings from those sports and how they have propelled him to where he is today. So I ask that those of you in the Tita Green Fairways please make a mental or a physical note for that. And if you are raising children, then it's certainly an opportune time to consider that as you evolve your children's life. Great points from Maurice Allen, who some of you know as a world long drive champion. I regard him as a friend and a brother. Who inspired you to play the sport? Where did swinging the driver come from? I don't know. Uh, it was it was a it was a bet. Um, so, I think my my inspiration for the sport wasn't to start the sport; it was to continue in the sport. So I had a encounter with Calvin Pete. I think I met him I don't know four times. Maybe. Okay. Uh, but the last one, I was legitimately getting ready to quit the game, and my uncle made me go play at TPC Sawgrass, and I was in this fivesome. Uh, and it was probably a star-studded fivesome for most people. So it was Julius Irving, Artis Gilmore, um, and George Gervin, and then it was myself. And the whole time I'm riding with Julius, and I'm like, hey, Uncle Jay, what's going on, man? Well, I thought we had five. He said, hey, don't worry about it, man. You just do what you're supposed to do. I said, all right. So we get there to the second hole, and I'm standing over the ball, and I hear this person coming around the cart path. As they're coming around the cart path, I automatically thought it was the beverage person. But then I thought about it. I was like, Sawgrass doesn't have a beverage cart. Right. What am I thinking? Right. So, you know, like anyone else, I get a little attitude over the ball. Like, man, you don't see me on the team, man? <laughs> right. Chill out. Right. Relax. And I back off the ball. The cart stops. And, I, you know, I had one of them little moments. So I was like, thank you. And then I went right back <laughs> on the ball. And then I'm standing over the ball, and the cart goes up or starts going up again. I'm like, well, God, dog, you don't see me on the tee box. Who is this? Like, who doesn't have this golf etiquette? And lo and behold, I hear this voice, and I'll never forget it. And it was, I heard y'all was looking for a fifth. Well, who in the hell is this? It was Calvin Pete. Oh, nice. And 
you know, Julius looked at me. He said, hey, Junebug, you go hit the ball? I said, nah, I, I can't move my arms and my legs right now. So, <laughs> right. you know, I spent the day with him, and he watched me play the first uh, front nine. Then he left, and then he came back on hold 12. And he was like, hey, young man, I've seen a lot of things in this game, but promise me you'll never quit this game. Right. And I didn't shoo him off. I just said, like any kid would at the time, all right, Mr. Pete, yeah, no problem. Right. And I remember getting out the car and he grabbed my arm. And he said, no, nah, look me dead in my eyes and promise me you won't ever quit this game. And I stopped. I was like, all right, he's serious. Like, he's right. super serious. Right. And I said, yes, sir, Mr. Pete. I stopped everything I was doing and gave him my full and undivided attention. I said, yes, sir, Mr. Pete, I promise you I won't ever quit this game. Respect. And five, min five months later, he was gone. Mm. Um, so I didn't know where he was as far as his health. Um, I had seen him a few times. We knew who, obviously, I knew who he was. And it was cool that he knew who I was. Mm -hmm. um, but I look at that and I say, well, somebody who won 14 times on the tour, you know, the most accurate person to have ever mm -hmm. hit the golf ball on the tour. Mm -hmm. And he had to have seen something in me that mm -hmm. he may not have seen anywhere else. So he didn't have to tell me. He didn't have to give me that respect. So for me, that was my influence in playing this game. Absolutely. And for many of us, particularly in the African-American community, and he's gonna be a stalwart in the golf community, but we look at him as one of the pioneers. And so to have that voice, and really in many ways, almost figuratively passing off the baton yeah. To your point, not knowing where he was in his health. Right. But five months later, he certainly went to rest in peace, uh, which is where we know he is today. That's that's a powerful story. Yeah, that's so, a powerful I mean, that, story. There's some things that change your life, and that's definitely, that was one of them. You know, one of the things that I really appreciate about you is I watched the video with you hitting over Niagara Falls. After it was done, and you and the scratch team really had that moment of this really happened, you knelt on a knee and you took your hat off. Yeah. <laughs> what was going? Were you exhausted? Were you thanking those before you? Because I know that you believe and have a connection to that. What was going through your mind? And the reason I ask is I'm thinking about your interaction with Calvin Pete right now, and could that have been a moment for you? Yeah, it was one of those things. I mean, you know, it, it's weird. Uh, every time I compete, I always, I always do two prayers, and it's funny. I always do one kneeling and one standing. And there was this picture of me. Uh, I think I was in Prague, and had this picture of me. Somebody took a picture of me doing the second prayer, and they had this whole thing with me being a Muslim and Islam. And obviously, back at that point, there were some things going on with security. You know. They always mm -hmm. thought that there were radical Muslims all over the place, which is not the case at all. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, for me, I always pray once on my knees, and that's just to God, and ask for all kinds of different things or, or being thankful for everything. But then I also do one prayer that's standing, and that one is more so to the ancestors and having them understand that I'm grateful for their sacrifice for me to be where I am and also to know that 
everything I do, they're a part of it, and I'm not mm-hmm. there by myself. So it's just more of an acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've asked them to help guide me on days when I don't have the strength um, mm-hmm. and things like that. So, you know, he's he's a part of that. But I also understand that there are people who I don't know their names, um, mm-hmm. people I don't know who they are, where they were. Uh, when you look at it, if you can ever find the tape, uh, and it's been, NBC took it out pretty hard, but when I won in 2018, they asked me about winning, and I told them that I was the prayers of the slaves who were beaten and raped in the fields. Mm. And to understand that you have a connection with people that you don't know, will never meet, and things of that nature, it's a, it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that was, that's a big, big thing. Good, very good, very good. Earlier this month, there was the next phase of your evolution and popularity as, as a celebrity, if you will. And that was a Golf Digest article. Uh, it provided a sense of historical wellness. Uh, again, I talked about your humbleness and your gratitude. Talk about that article and what it meant to you. Uh, for me, the article was extremely important. You know, we live in and in, in play this game that loves to pride itself on the ability of being the quote-unquote best game in the world, and it's because it's the only game where you can call a penalty on yourself mm-hmm. and all these cliche things that it says. But somehow, some way, the biggest injustice has been done in the game because there's no acknowledgement of black people at all. And we use the term minorities, and I stopped using that because minorities are accepted. Women have been accepted into the game. Uh, they've been objectified and everything else on Instagram, and they, mm-hmm. they use that with, you know, and people accept that. Um, you know, Asians are accepted in this game. You know, they're seen as a disciplined group in golf, and they're, you know, you see it with Koreans or Japanese, Thai, and all these other different groups of Asian people, and they see that and they, they say, hey man, these people have so much discipline, and they're accepted, and they're marketed to as well. Um, but when it comes down to us, there is no market, there's no acceptance. And most importantly, with all of the things that we've done in this game and the things that we've accomplished, there hasn't even been a simple acknowledgement. Um, so for me, that that's a huge problem. That's been a huge problem. Uh, probably will continue to be a huge problem for the next few years because it needs to be consistent. It, everybody's celebrating Juneteenth today, but is that because they're celebrating Juneteenth or is it because the world decided to go on an uproar and burn things? So that's, you know, in, in golf, I see as the leaders because golf is, you look at your CEOs or CFOs, people on boards at all these Fortune 500, Fortune 50, Fortune 100 companies, um, most of them play golf. So if they can't find a way in their personal life to be quote unquote more inclusive or more so empathetic to people's situations, then how can I expect you to do it in the business world? Very good. And I think that was a sense of that in the article. So I appreciate you expounding on that. And really the transition from that point, golf is seeing an increase in diverse children playing the sport. Many aspiring to be a Maurice Allen or someone else that looks like them. Uh, What foundational inspiration are you providing to these kids? Uh, The biggest thing that I do 
Um, I work with the OMYGA, which is the Orlando Youth Minority Golf Association in Orlando. My coach is the founder of that. It was a group that was long before the first tee. Uh, he went into, you know, the Paramore area in Orlando, mm -hmm. which is not the best area yeah, in the world. No, no Paramore, yeah. He built a facility right there in the middle of the hood. You know, first tee says that they're here to help quote-unquote minorities, but it ain't here to help black people because they're not in our communities. There's no land in our communities to have golf courses, and there are no people who are of instruction that are giving these kids these opportunities, and there's no club manufacturers helping with, you know, and, and my thing is if you start kids with hand-me-downs, then what are we doing? What are we really telling kids that you're only second-rate? You know, it's different if you you choose to get a used set that's barely used versus a set that's super used and the grooves aren't there and the grips are all messed up. There's nothing like new. Correct. And so, you know, the constant issue that is being given on kids is they're told that they're gaining exposure. We're gaining exposure. We're giving you exposure. We're going to make your life better. And the thing I always tell these kids is that's not the case at all. Um, it's a completely different scenario. You're gaining exposure, yes, but you're also giving exposure as well. You know, everything that happens is a two-way street. It's not just one person, it's not just one side. So getting people to understand their value and their worth at an early age is extremely important. Excellent, excellent. Long Drive Championship. I think we touched on it a little bit. How did it materialize? You go from somebody that's just hitting drivers to competing in this ultra-charged event. How did that transition take place? Um, you know, a lot of hard work, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears legitimately. Um, was homeless for a while at one point. Uh, I just decided that I wanted to... Yes, I wanted to to try this thing out, and especially at that time, there was no there was one person, Jamie Sitlowski, who was making a living doing it. So there was, I was up against the odds from day one, mm -hmm. um, and there weren't any. There was one black person who was sprinkled in playing here and there. wasn't a member of the tour consistently. Okay, um, you know, but for me, I just felt that there was something there. I remember when I was at Life University working on my doctorate. I remember telling my my roommate, I was like, hey, you know, I'm too big for this room. And he was one of my friends from college. And he was like, oh, man, you know, yeah, we can find a bigger place, man. Ain't no problem. I was like, Dre, you, you ain't hearing what I'm saying, brother. I'm not <laughs> saying that this square footage is too small. Just my purpose in life is too big to be stuck on this campus. And he had this weird look at me. And, you know, he and I talk. And it's funny. He was like, you always said that you were going to be bigger. But... I mean, I put in, I used to hit a thousand balls a day. I don't know for how many times I did that, but I hit a thousand balls a day. Even now in my transition to play the stroke play game, I mean, I, I have, I'll go on stints where I'll play 54 holes seven days a week. I mean, it, a lot of it's just training. You know, you're pushing your body to see what can you do? What does it take for you to break? And that right. comes from my athletic background in other sports. Right. You know, in track and field, you get broke every single day you go to practice. I don't right. care who you are. You can right. use same boat. You're going to get broke. Um, and, you know, and not to compare it to a racehorse, but that's what they do with racehorses. Mm -hmm. They run them until they break them. Mm -hmm. They want to see what they're made out of. And as an individual, I, I do that to myself quite often because my view was really simple. You know, when I looked at people who picked cotton in the field, there were days they didn't feel like it. 
There were days they were hurt. There were days they didn't get days off. And nine times out of ten on, on the plantation, if you got a day off, that means somebody was about to check out. Mm-hmm. They killed people on the day. Mm-hmm. They got days off. So I had to find a way to push myself. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I channeled the past. Because I understand that there's a strength needed in what I'm trying to do and what I'm trying to accomplish. That is, I hate to use the word supernatural, but it's much, much more in-depth than just being a regular human being walking around this earth. Purpose and focus. Again, two things that I think we can take away from this next segment of time that we've had with uh, with Maurice. And clearly, he is focused and, and has leveraged uh, historical context, his own life to date, passion, purpose, and focus. Great elements for all of us to put in our lives as we look for the next phase of our own human evolution. What's next? You know, I know that Golf Channel has put the World Long Drive Championship up for sale. Uh, what is next for you in golf? <laughs> Nothing else left, man. I gotta go. I gotta go talk to Miss Loretta. For y'all who don't know what that is, that's just a that's a reference from uh, Think Like a Man. But now nah, I gotta get ready for the tour. So um, I'm just gonna be me, man. Uh, you know, I don't know what that's going to look like to get to the tour. Um, but I think, honestly, after the, the conversations I've had and the activism I've shown, if I don't attempt to try to get on the tour, it would all been for nothing. Um, okay. People always have that stigma of saying, well, he was just a long drive guy. He couldn't play the game. He didn't have what it takes. And, you know, there's, there's nobody at this standpoint in life who is, even in today's world with it trending, truly stepping up for black people on the tour and speaking out. Uh, I look at Tiger, I look at Harold, and go down the list, nobody's done it. Nobody's really said that there's a horrible thing out there. Uh, maybe Harold's problem is money. You know, he's still in his early stages of his career, so stability, trying to keep sponsors happy and things mm-hmm. of that nature. Mm-hmm. Tiger has no excuse. Tiger's got more money than he can spend in a lifetime, mm-hmm. even with, if he had terrible, horrible habits. Um, but at some point, it's it's got to be somebody who represents the average person that's here at this event. You know, unfortunately, as black people, we we take a little bit of attention and we make it like it's the best thing ever, rather than truly understanding what is going on and to educate ourselves and dig down deep and see what a person's true meaning may be with the things that they're saying and the things that they're doing, and most importantly, with the things that they're doing. You know, people talk all day long, but Action is everything. So we have to get out of that something's better than nothing mentality. We definitely have to find a way to get past this thought process of, hey, you know, he's he said something. Oh, my God, Tiger said something. You know, we're happy Tiger said something. It's like, no, it needs to be more on a, you know, did he say something that we can stand behind? Or did Harold say something we can stand behind? Did they say something that looks like something we're used to? And the answer more often than not is no. And until we have somebody who speaks for us, then there's nothing there. Excellent, excellent. I know it's early and you're in transition and the tour is your ultimate destination. What is that legacy going to look like for Maurice Allen? Um, legacy for me is just going to be, you know, making things better for others. Um, 
coming up with a sense of immortality, you know, making sure that people still remember my name long after I'm gone. Uh, that's a daily goal. Um, that's what it's really all about. But most importantly, making sure that the people who come behind me don't have to fight the same fights that I fought. I don't believe that in a day of 100, in today marks 157 years, and we're still fighting for basic freedom. Uh, we're still trying to get people to stop waving that Confederate flag, which if you want to wave the flag of being a loser, go for it. If, if you want to celebrate losing, if that's your heritage and your, your, your history is being a loser, okay. It just tells me you're going to continue to be a loser. Um, that, that's really what it's all about. It, it's about making sure that people aren't forgotten, like you know Charlie Siffer, like Ted Rose, like Calvin Pete, and I go down the list of them. But somehow, some way, these people are consistently being forgotten, and that just doesn't sit well with me. So, folks, we have had the pleasure of spending time with someone who is authentic, who is focused, who is committed to his future as a golfer, but also committed to his philanthropy commitments uplifting, diversifying, and including others in the game of golf. We are honored that he has given us his time as he prepares for a weekend of golf here in the state of Georgia. One final question from the fairways, Maurice. How does Tee to Green Golf Podcast continue to support you and push your brand forward? Um... You know, what you guys are doing now, you know, having the ability to speak um, to you guys, to the people who listen to this, that's all I ever ask. Um, the thing that I do ask for others, more so than myself, is when you hear that there's an event, you know, go out and support. You know, Harold Varner is out there, Joseph Bramlett's out there, Cameron Champ are out there. You want to see more black people on the tour. You want to see more black people playing the game and the people that we have. Make it your business to go out there and follow. You know, Ricky Fowler is not the most winningest person on the tour, but he has a following, which allows him to have huge sponsorship, huge visibility. And, you know, even if Cameron and Joseph and Harold aren't winning, if they had a thousand people walking behind them, sponsors would look and say, what is it with these guys? What makes them so amazing? Why is it? And, you know, if it costs you, 50 bucks, if it costs you 30 bucks for a ticket, it's well worth it because you may not have the money to sponsor an individual, but you do have the money to go buy tickets and help and aid in someone getting these corporate dollars because the corporations will see value. And if you're a black person who sits on the board of a um, group and you have the opportunity to look at marketing dollars, then what you need to do is you need to make it your business to find a way, if you're a golf enthusiast, to give either junior golf programs or professional golfers the opportunities to go out there and utilize your corporate dollars that you're using for marketing anyway and put them towards these people to see if we can get some people out there. I mean, you're talking about trying to get more give kids more heroes or heroines, you, we don't have those. You know, there aren't enough Mariah Stackhouses. There mm. just aren't. True. There's one. You know, there aren't enough Alexis Beltons. There's one. 
I can go down the list of them, but it, what, what happens if you see 10 people on each tour, 15 on each tour? And a lot of times it's finance. It's not skill that keeps us out of these things. And unfortunately, we're not doing our part. We have a lot of people in powerful positions who are still afraid to speak up and stand up. And I think now is the time. There's, there's dollars out there. Companies are putting money towards quote unquote African-American initiatives will then step up and say, hey, I know some golfers. And it could be 60, it could be 70, it could be $80,000 a year, whatever it is. And also don't think that these golfers need to live in poverty through the course of their process because the kids who are making it on the webs and all this other stuff, they have these backers. They have people who allow them to drive Mercedes and no one looks at them crazy when they ask for sponsors. When when it's us looking at sponsors and you have a kid who drives a Mercedes and you're like, oh, well, he don't need no sponsor. He got a Benz. Why is that the case? Why do we only believe in abundance in church, but we don't practice it in life? And on that note, our marching orders are in place. Reese, we are grateful for your time. We salute you. We are excited about your path going forward. And as we always say, hit it straight from T to Green.